definitely the first time I've been introduced by an Easter bunny, so that's pretty cool. Don't know about experts, I apologise for that. Before we begin, let's just say a word of prayer. Father in heaven, um, this weekend's a crazy weekend in the calendar. Um, People get weekends off and all this, but Lord, today we want to focus on you because you are the reason why this weekend. Lord, we love you. May my words be your words. In your name, amen. On a hill far away stood in the emblem of, and I love that old cross, whether for a world of lost sinners was slain. It's a hymn. The old rugged cross is a hymn that talks about absolutely everything to do with this weekend. And the chorus of that little hymn is absolutely brilliant. And it's the last line of the chorus that I want to focus on here because it says, Someday I'll exchange that cross for a crown. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So here, uh, every time I present, I don't know, I either talk about sport, cars, music. They're the things that I'm interested in. That's pretty much all I know about. And so that's what I'm going to share with you today. In my hand here, still in its packet, because they're always worth more in their packets. Neil's smiling because he's seen my my little collection at home. I have a nephew that's four years old. uh, Yeah, three, four, one of them. Courtney, help me. Three. um, Three years old, and um, every time he comes over to my house, he sees all the cars up in the cabinet out of his reach, and he sees them and just wants to play with them. So I went and bought sort of replica cars of my collection so he can play with the cars that look like my cars. Because people say that we don't learn. Well, I've learnt from myself because this isn't the exact car. This is a 1970 Ford Capri, uh, for those of you playing at home. It's yellow. I didn't want the yellow one, but that's all they had. Um, and it's uh, RS, it's got a 2.6 litre engine in it. It's a beautiful car. But my father used to have cars like this at home. And, and he used to put them on a shelf in his office and one day I've got an older brother and this is probably one of the only times that I'll tell a story where we're actually getting along and and my brother and I we were down in my father's office to start with so that's probably not a good thing but we decided that uh, we need to give dad's cars a paint job so as I said I keep mine in the wrappers and all that kind of stuff but dad I don't know why back in the day they used to take them out of the wrapper because they never used to have clear plastic containers that they put them in. And so here was this beautiful old um, fire engine sitting up. And for those of you that are interested in collecting cars, fire engines are sort of the more expensive ones. And, And here it was sitting up there. And I thought to myself, man, we've just finished watching Bathurst. There's all these cars with lots of stickers and all these different things on them and they look really cool, I want this fire engine to look like that. And so I got Tim, because he's a little bit taller than I am, I got him to reach up and grab that fire engine. And then, as as he brought down the fire engine, that sort of of, noise went off, and it sort of lit up and all that kind of stuff. And and I thought to myself, man, this is going to look great. And Dad had always taught me that stuff needs an undercoat. So... I went to his office drawer, opened the drawer, and found the whiteout. But it wasn't the whiteout that is in a pen that shakes like this. It was the old school whiteout in a paintbrush type style. And so here I was, 
sitting at dad's desk in dad's office about to remodel dad's car. And the first stroke went on down the side. And then it continued and continued and went, oh yeah, it's white. This is great. The undercoat is on. Now I can color it the color I want. And so I went and found in dad's other drawers a whole heap of Nikos, markers, felt-tip pens, whichever way you want to look at it. I call them a Nico. And they're all different colors. And so I thought, oh, I can make it look like those cars that were going around the track at Bathurst. And off I went. And I drew all over this car. My brother, in the meantime, had found another car. And it was an old Mustang that looked really nice. Looked really nice. And, and he did the same thing. So here we were. We'd finished our product. We sat them on A4 bits of paper so they could dry. And we went out and ran around the backyard and threw sticks at each other all the time. Until that moment when all of a sudden, see, when it, and, and Rick was the same. A couple of weeks ago, Rick was up the front and he was explaining that when his mum used his full name, he was in trouble. So when mum said Simon Luke Hutton, I knew I was in trouble. That must be just a general rule for mums. I don't know what it is. But when dad was mad at us, he didn't use our full names. Uh uh-uh. It just bellowed from the bottom of the house. And so we were throwing sticks or doing something, running around with the dogs or whatever, and all of a sudden you hear this, Simon! Sam! Get in here now! And all of a sudden you're like, "Uh uh-oh, get behind the shed or climb up a tree or just do something other than get in here right now. But we did, we were good boys, kind of. And, and we, we went into the office, and all we could see was Dad there looking at the masterpieces we had just created. We, we, he was looking at his precious toys, but they're not toys. His precious toys that aren't toys, and the look on his face was almost like utter disgust. Now, as you were growing up, and, and some kids here that... Um, um, that, that might experience this now, have you ever received the look from your parents of either disgust or disappointment? Breaks your heart. And when you reflect on it, as you get older, it breaks your heart even more. That, that, that look that they all have, you guys know what I'm talking about, that look. And, and to cut a long story short, we got punished. <laughs> We got punished in, in um, a variety of ways, um, and, and we're all right, <laughs> but the cars were completely destroyed. Their value was gone, because a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old decided to repaint them. As, I, as I've grown up and I think of my collection and I think of my little nephew grabbing a hold of them and painting them, I can sort of sense a bit of pain that Dad would have felt. There's a, there's a story in three of the Gospels. And the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament that tell us about this Jesus stuff. 
And, and, it, it's, and these stories were put there in different ways because we all read differently. We all tell stories differently. We all experience life differently. So the Bible writers, the guys that put the Bible together, decided to put these four Gospels in because we all learn differently. And so the one we're going to look at this morning is in Matthew. And it's Matthew chapter 27, and I've got it on the screen for you, so we'll run through that version for you. I think it's the NIV. And there's this dude called Pilate. Now, when I was growing up, I always used to get confused because pilots drove planes, or flew planes, maybe. And, and, but it's different. Pilate was like a governor. And, and when I say governor, it's sort of, sort of not like the British governor. It's more like an emperor Roman governor, which is rule with an iron fist. And Pilate was this dude that was running the show at the time, okay? ScoMo, Scott Morrison, or whatever his name is. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? He's talking to Jesus. Let's go to verse 14. But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. So Jesus is on trial, to put it in perspective. Jesus is on trial in front of everyone. And, and the governor has asked him, don't you want to say anything in your defense? But Jesus doesn't say a word, and, and the governor is amazed by this. Because if you've done something wrong, or you're on trial, don't you always try and say something to, I don't know, get yourself out of it. But here we have Jesus standing there, not saying a word. And Pilate's going, there's something different happening right here, right now. Let's go to 15. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Check that out. That's an interesting one right there. Whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Now, Barabbas means, check, I only worked, found this out this week while I was doing some study stuff. And it's, Barabbas actually means son of the father. That's the Simo interpretation of it. But it says, son of the father. So Jesus, son of the father. Interesting, isn't it? And then we've got Jesus who is hanging out in the court. And he is Jesus, son of God. Interesting. Interesting little side note. But here we have Jesus Barabbas. And the reason why we know that it was Jesus Barabbas is that all the scholars and stuff have looked into it and all that. But we, we see Pilate calling him Jesus Barabbas. But every time Pilate talks to Jesus... He has another title for him, which we'll find out in a minute. So let's go to verse 16, uh, 17. Sorry. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? That's the title. Jesus who is called the Messiah. 18. For he knew... It was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. He's talking about the, the church leaders of the day. The Jewish leaders of the day had brought Jesus into Pilate to, to try and get rid of him. He was messing up their status quo. The people were following Jesus and they wanted to get rid of him. And so Pilate knew that that's what they were looking for. Let's go to 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Do not have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Check it out. 
Pilate's missus, wife, ultimate person in his life, has just told him, don't have anything to do with this guy. This guy is an innocent man. And I've got a dream about it. Now, Pilate already had suspicions. And, and he's already given Jesus this name of, of, you know, the one called the Messiah. But here we have Pilate's wife going, Pilate, uh-uh, don't have anything to do with this man because he is innocent. And not only that, the words that she uses is, for I have suffered a great deal today because of him, sort of suggests that she was in torment, that this dream was causing her real issues, that is stress. Let's go to verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. 22. What shall I do then? Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Uh, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Second time. He's used that term. Pilate asked. And the crowd said, crucify him. 23. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted louder, crucify him. It's an interesting story. It's a very interesting story in the fact that the, the, the leaders of the time, the Jewish leaders, had, had convinced this crowd to shout out, crucify him. And, and a crucifixion was no little thing. The Romans had studied on how to murder someone in the most painful way you possibly can. They researched it. They had dudes researching it. That's how how bad this crucifixion stuff was. And here, the crowd shouted louder, crucify him. We only hear about Barabbas a couple of times in the Bible. I wonder what he was thinking here. I wonder if he was on display in front of the crowd that was yelling, crucify Jesus. I wonder if he he was there and, and I wonder what he was experiencing in his heart as the crowd called crucify this other bloke. It's, a, it's an interesting concept. And, and the funny thing is, I wonder if Barabbas knew that he was part of an exchange. I wonder if he knew that the cross that Jesus is going to get crucified on was Barabbas' exchange. You see, my brother and I destroyed the cars that we, we got down off the shelf and whatever else. Their value was kaput. It was changed. They were worth nothing. Dad couldn't take them back and get them exchanged. Uh-uh. Not a chance. But Barabbas was about to experience the exchange of a lifetime. Now, the other day, um, Courtney and I were in the shops. Um, I don't know what it is. But whenever you go shopping near a long weekend, it's like the world is going to end. And there's people parked everywhere. There's cars beeping and honking and whatever else. But if, you, if you've got time, if you've got time, just wander through the shops and, and just watch people. There's an intense look on their face. And, and yeah, anyway, it's a whole experience. But I bought this shirt. Six bucks. Best and less. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Thanks, Bowden. You know, you know the pain of shopping. 
Um, six bucks, best and less, right? And I went into best and less, picked up this shirt and went, yep, that'll work. And I walked to the counter and paid six bucks for it. I've kept the receipt, it's in my wallet. The boys that I was talking to before, you saw all the receipts in my wallet, it's in amongst them, okay? So I was hoping that I'd do the sermon in this shirt and take it back. I've even left the tags on. No, I haven't, I've took them off. It's a, it's a thing. I try and leave the tags on as best as I can for everything. But I thought to myself, and I thought I better not get this on the carpet, hence why I've moved up onto the stage. But I've thought to myself, what is a way that I can illustrate not being able to exchange something? And so a white shirt, and I've got beetroot. You ready, mums? Here we go. Oh, lovely. It's a lovely shade of whatever that is. Beetroot colour. But the best thing with beetroot is... Oh, no. I've beetrooted myself. But you see, that now has a stain on it. It's best unless going to turn around and take that back and I'm going to get my six bucks back. Probably not. Probably not. I could try. I could try. The other thing I thought was, you know when you're at like a uh, um, barbecue or something like that, and you've got a hot dog roll, and you've got the sausage in it, oh hang on, if at Bunnings you put the onions first, and then sausage, and then tomato sauce, and then cheese, and you've misjudged your tomato sauce, or it's that annoying packet. It's that annoying packet, or, or a squeeze bottle that has that glumpy bit on the end, and so you squeeze extra hard, and then all of a sudden your sauce goes all over your hot dog. And then you pick up the hot dog and you put a bite in it, but because of the pressure on the end, and that's the end that you started with the of sauce, it all just dribbles down your front. Anyone else experience that or is that just me? It must be just me. But anyway, so I thought, I'm getting my pro heart on for those of you that remember the pro heart. Oh, thank you. Here we go. So tomato sauce, right? The curse of all the hot dog days. Oh, I love the smell of tomato sauce too. It's great. But to make it, oh no, to make it better, the shirt is pretty much ruined, yeah? No? I could get away with it, you reckon? Abstract. Abstract. The shirt is destroyed. There is no way that, I'm hoping I'm not dripping everywhere, but I hoped, well, there was no way that I could go down to Best and Less and get my money back for a shirt that has beetroot on it and sauce on it, right? So for an example, the sauce was when I destroyed my dad's car. The sauce, I've done something bad. Beetroot is another opportunity where I've done something bad. And my shirt is now soiled. My shirt is now done with. You see, Barabbas, he just wasn't a normal prisoner. There's multiple accounts in the Gospels that says Barabbas was a, a guy that got involved with revolutions and stuff, but then it tacks on the end and says, and was a murderer. He wasn't just your ordinary prisoner. This guy had made a mess of so many people's lives, he deserved to be in jail. This shirt didn't deserve to have stuff spilled on it. At the start of the talk, when I was talking 
about my dad's cars. That look of disappointment that dad had on those cars was extreme. At the beginning of time, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Go a bit further on. God created man in his own image. And we've done this to ourselves. We've done this to ourselves. We've put tomato sauce on our on ourselves. We've put beetroot on ourselves. And that look of disappointment that I can see looking at, at God looking down at us is extreme. But the thing is, the thing is, in the book of Exodus, it actually gets described, this look of disappointment gets described as a white hot anger. If you've ever looked at a blacksmith doing his thing in movies or whatever else, or if you've actually seen a blacksmith or whatever, he heats the metal up until it is white, the hottest that it can be. And it becomes moldable at that stage. So this anger that God has for us is on this white hot anger stage. It's because we've done this to ourselves. It's because we've put the sauce on ourselves. It's because of the beetroot on ourselves that we've done this. cross changes things. Jesus steps in in Barabbas' life. From that moment that the, the crowd shows Jesus, the one they call the Messiah, over Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, from that moment on, Jesus' story changed. From that moment on, Jesus went from that point there he got flogged. And that's the word the Bible uses. He got flogged to an inch of his life. Then moved on. The, the road to, to the hill of Golgotha was it's cobblestones, would have been spattered with all kinds of different things, people spitting, all of that. Jesus made his way with the help of some other people. And he eventually got to the cross on the hill. And I'll put that hand in the sea. He got, he got to the hill and they, they put the cross on top of this hill with two other people. And here on a cross, Jesus died. And it was abnormal. Even Jesus' death was abnormal. His life on earth was abnormal, but his death was abnormal in the sense that he died before he was supposed to. Because when people crucified, were crucified, the idea was that, that you make them in pain for as long as you can. See, if you, got, if you got crucified on Friday, you'd probably still be alive Saturday night. And, and here, they'd actually come up and break your legs so you wouldn't run away. You'd nailed to a cross, but you'd run away. I don't get it. But here on Friday afternoon, Jesus spreads out his arms and he says, it is finished. And he bows his head and dies shouldn't have happened that way. But then, it shouldn't have happened that way from the very beginning. You see, the cross that Jesus died on is like a crosshairs, you see. When I was talking about that look, when I was talking about that look of, of God looking in disgust, the crosshairs change. The crosshairs change from looking at us and they change to looking at the cross. 
You see, Jesus doesn't look at us in disgust now. He looks at the cross and goes, that thing, that thing. It's changed the way the white-hot anger is aimed. And here we have Jesus died. And on the Saturday, he was in the grave and he slept. And while he was in the grave and he slept, Everyone was sort of planning, what do we do next? Everyone was sort of scared. I just thought I'd be. Everyone was scared of what was going to happen next. And the whole point of the story, the whole point of the story is simply that Jesus rose again on the Sunday. And you know what? The cool thing is, and this is a side note that's only popped up recently in people's instruction, uh, people's research. The cool thing is, when the lady, when Mary went to the tomb and went inside and went and got Peter and came inside, the, the, it says that in the, Jesus' death clothes or the rags that they put him in were folded in a certain way. In Jewish custom, in Jewish custom, we have this method that when you're sitting at a table, if you're leaving you fold your napkin a certain way and put it down on the table. But if you're just going up to the go to the loo, the powder your nose, however you want me to say it, you fold your napkin a certain different way and put it on the table, and that means you're coming back. The research that they've put into, I don't know how they get this information or whatever, but the research they've put into it suggests that when Jesus folded up his, his funeral clothes and, or rags or whatever they called it, he folded in a way that he's coming back. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But Jesus rose again on the Sunday. And the cool thing with Jesus rising again on the Sunday is that our shirts that are destroyed, our cars that are destroyed, our life that is destroyed, and has God putting down of us, it changes direction. And the cross, ready, Rico? Sin is gone because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the white, the purity, the, the freedom that that gives us is amazing. The freedom that that gives us is amazing. The walk that Jesus did to the cross would have been painful. The death on the cross would have been painful. When Jesus was in the tomb, he was sleeping. But that Sunday, that glorious Sunday morning is the reason why we can exchange that cross for a crown. Sometimes I feel we get distracted too much by, by the cross itself. We forget about the Sunday morning. But it's the Sunday morning is the reason why we can put on a clean shirt. The Sunday morning is the reason for this season, to use a Christmas term. I want you to sit there quietly for a second. I've got a song for you. 
and this is the best way I could sum up this whole thing. And then I'm going to have a question for you and the band can lay hold of Ben John. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thorns on his head, spear in his side, yet it was a heartache that made him cry. He gave his life so you would understand. Is there any way you could say no to? If Christ himself was standing here, face full of glory and eyes full of tears, he'd hold out his arms with his nail gritted hands. Is there any way you could say no to this man? Jesus is here with his arms open wide. You can see him with your heart if you'll stop looking with your eyes. He's left it up to you. He's done all that he can. Is there any way you could say no to this man? Yeah.
Barabbas is standing, listening, watching what was going on. I wonder, I wonder if there was something inside of him that sort of went, there's something bigger than me happening here. I wonder if he knew about his stains and the cleanness that the cross would provide. Um, I don't think we do this enough, but if, if you want to know more about what we've just talked about, the cross and all that kind of stuff, come and see us, come and see Sharon, she's not here today, but come and see Sharon, come see Neil, come see me, Sarah, anyone in the audience, come see him if you're not a regular, if you want to know more information, if you just want to say day or whatever, come and see us. Because this is why we do what we do. This is why the church exists. Because of that man that spread his arms on the cross. And the question from the song, Sam, can you say no to this man? Or will you say yes? Let's pray. This song is generally new, but I think that it really tells the Easter story how it's supposed to be told, and how through all of life's trials and tribulations and everything we go through, He's still there with us in the midst of it all. He's there with us in the Thank you. 
joy. Help us not to lose focus on, on what you've done for us. And uh, if, if we've got questions, Lord, help us to be um, help us to be able to ask those questions and point us to the people that can answer them. And Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift of your Son on the cross that you, we're able to to bring ourselves to you, and you're able to wash us clean. Lord, we love you. 